chapter number 18, and then we'll go to the book of 1 Corinthians. Well, you know I am not a slave to holidays or the calendar. I do enjoy preaching biblical texts that coincide with special days, such as Thanksgiving and Christmas. Easter is my favorite of the holidays personally. Uh, there are unsaved people who celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas. They don't know what they're celebrating, but they celebrate it. And they celebrate Thanksgiving in a strange kind of way. I've probably mentioned this before, but if you are unsaved, if you are an unbeliever, or worst case, if you're a professing atheist, which I'm not sure exists, but have you ever thought about the fact you have no one to thank? I mean, there's no one to thank. You may try to be thankful, but there's no one to thank. You see, unbelievers have some of the same things that you and I have today, but they have health, food, roof over their head. They have those things, but they have no one to thank but themselves or someone else. But thank God we have someone to thank, and that is our Savior. James said, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. And that goes deeper than just tangible things such as our food and our clothing. And Thanksgiving is another time of the year that separates believers from unbelievers uh, because we truly have someone to thank. If you're unsaved this morning, then I would come to the Lord. I would draw nigh to Him, call upon His name, repent, and be saved. And then thank God you would have someone to thank, not only for the temporal blessings of life, but for the eternal blessings of life. For the past 16 weeks, I've been preaching on the local church. We've covered much territory, examined a variety of passages in both the Old but primarily the New Testament. And hopefully, we have seen God's purpose for the local church in history. We have been confronted with serious realities about our own church here at West Lenore. We've been challenged by the one another passages to exhort one another, to pray one for another, to love one another. We have seen that the church is not here to entertain. We are not here to be sinner or user friendly. We're not here to cater to selfishness and we're not here to fulfill the entitlement mentality of our culture. That's not why we are here. We are here for the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel. It would be easy to become discouraged and overwhelmed at the challenges that lays before us. We have a lot of work ahead as a church. We have a lot of repenting, a lot of rebuilding of relationships, witnessing, teaching, and learning if we want to genuinely be a church that would honor the Lord, and I trust you do. But as I prayed and thought about this this week in light of the theme of thanksgiving that's on most people's minds, I want to ask you to join with me this morning in these texts that I'm going to read, 
not only this morning, but throughout this week, and commit yourself afresh to being thankful for the church. Thankful for the universal church, yes, for all of God's people, but thankful more specifically for our local church here at West Lenore. We should be thankful for this body of believers that are gathered here this morning. And to be able to do that biblically and to be able to do that effectively and to be able to do that continually, I've chosen two passages that reveal the words of the Apostle Paul about the church at Corinth. If there is any church in the New Testament for which you might say there's nothing there to be thankful for, it would be the church at Corinth. And yet Paul is going to express to us his thanksgiving. We're going to read Acts 18, verse 1, beginning in verse 1. This is the scripture that tells us how this church was founded, how this church began. And then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and listen to Paul write to them. Chapter 18 of the book of Acts, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in, a night, in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city." And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. And the rest of the chapter tells us, and into chapter 19 tells us the wonderful things that God did at Corinth. Now if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. So what we have in Acts 18, Paul spends 18 months of 16, or a year and a half roughly, uh, seeing both Jews and Gentiles converted when they heard the gospel. And he had been there preaching and teaching, and then he leaves. And after he leaves, everything imaginable you can think of happens to this church. All sorts of winds of doctrines begin to be considered. Uh, the church has questions. The church is divided. When you come to chapter 1 in his first letter to 1 Corinthians, there's a four-way split down in verse 12. 
There are people there who say they are of Paul. There's a group there that says they are of Apollos. There's a group there that says they are of Cephas. And then there's a group that says they are of Christ by themselves. So after this glorious start in Acts 18, uh, just a little time later, Paul gets word that this church is divided. There's no love for one another. There's a lack of humility. They have fallen away from their established foundations. They are focusing on each other and not on Christ. There's many questions discussed about the gospel, about marriage. They're misusing spiritual gifts. Uh, they are making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. Uh, you name it, it is messed up at Corinth. And then we come to this letter in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians and verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sothenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to pause there. And then I'll read the rest of this in just a moment. To summarize what has happened between Acts 18 and 1 Corinthians 1 and the writing of Paul's first epistle, it can be stated simply that God's revelation in Scripture has been replaced by the people's speculation. What Paul had preached to them, God's revelation, what God had given to them in the Word of God, the divine revelation of God, has now been replaced by their speculation. The true doctrines, the true gospel, how the spiritual gifts are to be used, the Lord's Supper and its purposes, all of the things, marriage, everything that had been given to them by divine revelation, they are now living according to their speculation. They have stepped back and they're beginning to look at these things. And one group says, I see it this way, or we see it this way. And the other group says, we see it this way. So this marvelous church is divided four ways, and people have turned their back on the true gospel and upon the truths of God's Word. The professing Christians had come to the place where they felt comfortable divorcing what they believed from their behavior. They said, we believe certain things, but it's okay for our behavior to, to look differently. And it had resulted in the fact that the Corinthians that were lost were on the outside of the church looking at these believers and saying, uh, if this is Christianity, then we are confused as to what Christianity really is. The result was a chaotic mess, which apparently they were content to live with. And the church at Corinth gives us an accurate picture of the 21st century church and in many aspects of our own local church here where people tend to migrate toward their speculation of what's right and wrong rather than lean upon divine revelation. What do you say to a church like Corinth? If you are the Apostle Paul and you are reaching down and picking up your pen and there's parchment there and you are about to write to this church, after all these things that you now know, 
What are your first words? What do you say to a church that is in such a chaotic mess, that is divided four ways and has virtually walked away from everything they have been taught in those uh, in that year and a half, those 18 months or so, that the Apostle Paul was there with them? What do you say? How do you begin to address these issues? What would you be feeling if you were the great apostle after you had invested your life and your tears, and your love, and your labors in the work of God here at Corinth. What would you be thinking, and what should you be writing? I think we might be surprised with what I'm about to say for the next few minutes as we find how Paul began this letter to the Corinthians. Also put yourself on the other side of this. If you are the Corinthians, and and, uh, they walk in and hand you this parchment and say, Here is a letter from the Apostle Paul, and you're looking at it, and before you unroll the parchment, you're wondering, what's he going to do? Is he going to go for the jugular vein right off the the very first of the letter? Is he going to just knock us out of the park, the very words that come out of his mouth? Is he going to just really go to the very heart or the core of the matter? Because they knew what was going on in their own church. Well, let's see what Paul is saying here in the text. He says again in verse 3, Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. A very common salutation of the apostle, as we would begin our letters with those customary things. Here Paul is praying that God give them grace and peace. And then listen to the first words that come out of the apostle's mouth to them. I thank my God always on your behalf. For the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by Him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Probably not the very words that they were expecting to read. It's probably not how they thought the apostle would approach this. Now let's get this out of the way right up front. If you're thinking Paul is trying to flatter them, That's not the truth. If you're thinking that Paul is uh, a little skeptical and hesitant to avoid the issue, so he's buying a little bit of time, that he's feeling out the situation to see uh, where he needs to go next, if you know the Apostle Paul and if you've read his letters, that is not the case of the great Apostle Paul. Not whatsoever is that the case. Do you remember I just read to you a moment ago from Acts 18 where when he went into Corinth and they refused to hear what he said, he shook off his raiment and said, I'm out of here. I'm gone uh, down the road to the Gentiles. No, Paul is not buying time. He is not just trying to kind of get close to them or he's not trying to deal sentimentally with them here. He says to them, in spite of all their divisions, in spite of all their imperfections, in spite of of all their troubles, in spite of all their sins, in spite of all that he must deal with now in this letter, he says, I thank my God always on your behalf. He says, I am thankful for the church at Corinth. 
Think about these words. Think about what Paul is saying here. He could have easily begun with criticism. He could have easily begun by critiquing the church at Corinth. He could have easily begun by commenting upon them and coming to conclusions about why they have done what they did and why they're in the shape that they are in. But instead, the apostle does something that we need to do this morning occasionally. And in his case, it was always the apostle Paul said in this verse, I thank my God always on your behalf. For the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. We sit here this morning, a church hopefully not divided four ways. But we sit here this morning, a church of imperfection. We sit here this morning, a church that has not reached full maturity in Jesus Christ. We sit here this morning, a church that has our challenges and our struggles. And we sit here, a church that has a lot of things that need to be worked on and need to be made right with God. But I come to you this morning as your pastor to remind you, in spite of all of our imperfections, all of our sins and our flaws, we everyone should be thankful for one another because of the grace of Almighty God that has been shown on our behalf. Paul is thankful. He says the most shocking and amazing words. I thank my God always on your behalf. Always. It means the church was never a stale. His thankfulness for the church was never a stale or lifeless thing with Paul. Meaning that if you just say generically today, well, I'm thankful for Wes Lenore because the preacher said I should be thankful for it and I'll try to remember it Thursday and be thankful again. That's not what Paul is saying. Did you notice in the text, I thank my God always. It means that it is always fresh in spite of the problems. He is glad to be a part. He is glad to be a part of Christ's church. And he is glad that he's been a part of that local assembly at Corinth no matter how messed up they are. He's not excusing them. He's not letting them off the hook. You can read the rest of the book and find out that's not the case. But he is ever so thankful to God for them. Should you and I not be the same this morning? Should we not be so thankful for God's goodness and God's grace? Notice Paul uses this word thank here in verse 4. It's the Greek word eucharistio, if I pronounced that right which I probably didn't, but it means to be, you know the word Eucharist, it comes from that family. It means to be grateful, to express gratitude. It's the same thing that you will do in a little while, or hopefully you will do before you eat your, your meal this morning. You will say grace, you will give thanks, or you will say grace. And that is what Paul is doing here. He is extending his gratitude to God. And at the very core of this word thank, it means that he is acknowledging how good God's grace is. When you pray at your meals, you don't acknowledge how good the food is per se, but you acknowledge how good God is to provide that for you. And Paul is saying that to the church at Corinth. In spite of what we're going to have to deal with, he is saying, I want to thank God because He's been so gracious and so good and so blessed to be able to give us a church and to let us be the family of God. We should be thankful for that. 
I hope you are. Many of you, this is not, some of you, this is, your, this is the only church you've ever known in your life. You were physically born here. You were spiritually born again here. And this is the only church that you have ever known in your life. For me, this is the fourth church that's been a part of my life, my home church and the other pastorates that I've, that I've been to. And this is the fourth church that's in my life. But I, but I thank God for every one of them. I thank God for, for being among God's people. A people to whom God had extended grace. And as we read a, a while ago in the opening, to whom God had been very merciful and had extended His mercy. This thankfulness comes from a heart. Notice this is mentioned also in the present tense. I thank my God. He's not just talking about what he does on the fourth Thursday in November, although he didn't know about that yet. Paul is saying, this is my lifestyle. I thank my God always on your behalf. It's my lifestyle to be thankful, to be thankful for the church. The lifestyle of thankfulness, that speaks volumes in relation to man's spiritual condition. I remind you that one of the characteristics of the saved is that we are a thankful people. If I were to ask you this morning to stand to your feet and, and tell me one of the characteristics of the, of the unsaved, the ungodly, um, of those who are under the wrath of God, you probably would rise to your feet and, and say something like homosexuality or lesbianism. You would rise to your feet and say, you know, disbelief in God and blasphemy of His Son. Do you know that Paul said in Romans 1.21, one of the major characteristics of the unsaved, he said, neither were they thankful. Neither were they thankful. Unthankfulness divides believers from uh, unbelievers. It's another characteristic that separates us. Not only does the unbeliever have no one to be thankful to this morning, they have no thankfulness in their heart until they truly come to Christ. What they express on the surface is just a mere expression of something they feel for the moment or for the situation. Thank God our thankfulness is rooted all the way back to the cross of Calvary, and it is anchored in the very person of God Himself and His grace and mercy unto us. So Paul said, I thank my God always on your behalf. And he tells them for what? For the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Paul is thankful. Let me mention a couple aspects of his thankfulness. First of all, here in verse 2, Paul is thankful because the church at Corinth is God's church. Could we be thankful for that this morning at West Lenore, that this is God's church? Now that's a unique statement, a unique statement. Only the apostle uses the phrase, church of God. He uses it, I, don't, I think, maybe seven or eight times in the book of Corinthians, and he uses it in Galatians 1.13 and 1 Timothy 3.5. But that is not there by mistake. That is not there by just some idea of Paul. Go back down to verse 12. Look at this. There was a four-way division at Corinth. Some said they were of Paul, some of Apollos, some of Cephas, and some of Christ. When Paul said in verse 2, under the church of God, he is reminding those Corinthians, this is not your church, this is not Apollos' church, this is not Cephas' church, this church belongs to God and to Him alone. 
I want to remind you this morning, this is not my church. This is not your church. This is not our church. This is His church. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? Listen to Acts 20, 28. Paul telling the Ephesians, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the church of God which He hath purchased with His own blood. Church, we should be thankful this morning that this church does not belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to Southern Baptists. It doesn't belong to Independent Baptists. It belongs to the God who sent His Son to bleed and die for it. We should be thankful for that. Now, I know sometimes we act like it's ours. But it's not ours. It is His. And totally His. Why is it His? He's the one who called us to salvation. Look at verse 2. He said, "Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. He's the one that has saved us. He called us to salvation. He's the one that convicted us of our sin. He is the one who sent His Son to atone for our sin. He is the one who sanctifies us through His Son, Christ Jesus. It is Him upon whom we call. In verse 2, He calls us to be saints. And then we in every place call upon Him through the name of Jesus Christ. It is God's church. And we should be thankful for that. I am I'm glad it's not mine. I'm glad it's not yours. You say, well, I've given a lot of money to this church. You've never bled and died for this church. You say, well, I've been here all of my life. You won't be here forever. I promise you that. Brother, none of us will. This is His. It belongs to Him. God is the one. It is God's Son upon whom we call. The true members of West Sonora Baptist Church are not those who have their names written on our clerk's book but on those who are called and sanctified in Christ Jesus because God has called them to be saints. And they now in every place call upon the name of the Lord. We want to have a good thanksgiving. Be thankful that the church belongs to God. Tis. I just cannot see anything positive changing in, in any church, ours and all churches, until churches get beyond men and their ministries and return to our true identity, which is in the God who saved us and loved us. This is His. This is His. My name's not on much around here. It's on a few things. And it wouldn't bother me if it wasn't on anything. But it's, it's about God. It's not about us. As a matter of fact, it would thrill me if when people come here, they would... Really remember nobody except the Lord. That's, that's what it's about. Let's be thankful that Western Orb Baptist Church is God's called out assembly and that He purchased us with His own blood. Secondly, go back to Acts 18. Go back to Acts 18. So first of all, I want to encourage you to be thankful that Western Orb Baptist Church is God's church. Just like Corinth was God's church church. Secondly, I want you to join me not only in being thankful that we are God's church, but I want you to join me and Paul in being thankful 
because if it wasn't for God's sovereign control, we wouldn't have a church. Now look at chapter 18 where I began reading. Chapter 18. Look at the first couple words. After these things. Now if I told you this morning that after I make two announcements, we're going to do this, and then I never tell you what the two announcements are. You're sitting there thinking, what, what was he going to say? The only way to fill in, to understand what these things are, is to go back and read the entire book of Acts, which we don't have time to do. But Paul is saying that after these things, and more immediately what he's just come through in the previous chapters, after these things, what things? As again, we can't go back and read it, but I'll just mention to you what's recently happened in the first 17 chapters of Acts and more recently in, in Paul's life. He's been in some places where he's been heard. He's been in some places where he's been rejected. He's been in some places where he has been persecuted. And all of these things has led him now to leave Athens and come to Corinth. Now Paul is not out here winging it. Paul is not out here punching addresses in his map app to try to see where the Spirit of God would have him to go. God is controlling Saul of Tarsus, who's now Paul the Apostle. God is controlling all of this, and after everything he's been through, it is God's plan for him to go down to Corinth, this wicked city. He's to go down to Corinth down here, and he is to preach the gospel. When you see those words after these things, it means when Paul was physically exhausted, when he was emotionally deprived, when he was naturally afraid because of what had happened to him, at this point in Paul's life, he needs to know that God is in control or there never would have been a church at Corinth. I want to say this morning, not only am I thankful that God is in charge of His church, that the church is His. I want to say, secondly, I am thankful for God's sovereign control that we are still in good hands in spite of our imperfections, in spite of our sin, in spite of our blemishes, which we must deal with, repent, ask forgiveness, make correction, and move on. Behind it all is the unseen hand of God. We are where we are and who we are by the divine appointment of God. After all these things, Paul comes to Corinth. And this is absolutely amazing. Look at verse 4 through 6. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and Greeks. Silas and Timothy come from Macedonia and he's pressed in the Spirit. He testifies to the Jews that Jesus is Christ. They oppose him. And he, and, uh, he says, your blood be upon your own hands. I'll, I'll go to the, to the Gentiles. Paul is here in Corinth. It looks as if there shouldn't even be a church at Corinth. But there is. I grew up with churches everywhere, so I just grew up assuming there should be a church on every corner. But I understand more today than I ever have before. There would be no church anywhere were it not for the plan and purposes of Almighty God. We are not here today because somebody got a wild idea to put, up, put block up on a hill and, and try to meet together. No, Corinth is a church because that was God's design and plan, and we're a church because that's God's design and God's plan. 
How did God show or remind Paul that he was in control? This is fascinating to me. It may not do a thing for you. If it don't bless you, just say, thank you, Lord, for blessing the preacher with it. But this is fascinating to me. Number one, God revealed his sovereign control in the gift of people to the great apostle. Look at, look at verse 1, or verse 2. When he comes to Corinth, now I'm not going to go into the history of Corinth, but you can, you can take every wicked city in Louisiana and every wicked city in New York and any, any wicked city you can think about today and roll them into one, and they probably look like a picnic compared to Corinth. Wickedness. But when Paul gets to Corinth, now remember, he's been persecuted, he's been beaten, he's been rejected, he's been mocked. But when he gets to Corinth, he finds a certain Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And they've had to come there because Claudius had commanded the Jews to depart out of Rome. They're at Corinth, not because they really want to be, but hey, because God planned it that way. Can I just say this morning that we need to be thankful for God's sovereign control in the gift of people? You know, and this is so childish, but it's so informative. You know it, don't you? Here's the church, and there's the steeple. Open the doors, and there's the people. Here we are. People. God in my Christian life has always provided me with people. People I didn't know, people that I never met, but by the grace of God, I got to meet them. They become a part of my life, and I thank God for them. I thank God for every one of them. Standing yesterday over in Jonesville at the graveside with Brother Bob, there was a man over there that said to me, I told him who I was, and he said I used to come to West Lenore years ago, years ago. He said, I used to come to West Lenore. And he said, when, uh, when Bob told me he was moving to Lenore, speaking of Bob Klein, he said, you need to go to West Lenore. He said, go there. He said, you can hear the word and people will love you. It'll be a good place for you to go. God's sovereignly in control of people. Here's the apostle who's exhausted. He's wore out mentally, challenged on everything he's preaching. He goes into this wicked, ungodly city and finds Aquila and Priscilla. Can you look around you this morning and find anybody in here for which you can be thankful that God has put them in your life to help you? I'm thankful for every one of you. I don't enjoy preaching to that, them doors back there. I did that for six months here. I don't enjoy that at all. It's not the same. Uh, heat on or heat off. It's not the same. It's better when you're here. At least y'all help warm up the place, right? People, God's sovereign control of providing us people. Do I need to say more? Look around you this morning, right here in this church, and be thankful for the relationships that God has sovereignly arranged in your life. People. Secondly, look at verse 9 and 10 of Acts 18. God not only reveals His sovereign control through people, but He reveals His sovereign control through the gift of His Word. Now, in a night vision, the Lord comes and speaks to Paul. Now, remember, I told you, he's been persecuted, he's been, he's been abused, he's emotionally exhausted, mentally exhausted, spiritually exhausted, you name it. And look what the Lord does. He comes to Paul in verse 9. He speaks to the Lord in a night vision. He speaks to us today in His Word. But He says to Paul, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. Look at this. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. 
Here is Paul who felt all by himself when he leaves Athens and men have flaunted their intelligence against the gospel. And he comes in here and meets Aquila and Priscilla, who, by the way, happen to be tent makers, which Paul, isn't that amazing how God does that? And now in the midst of all of his discouragement and all of his fear of what might happen, the Lord comes and says, don't be afraid, Paul. I'm with you. Nobody's going to hurt you. I have much people in this city. Now, what that means is there's people in here that's saved, and there's people in here that's not saved. They're mine. They're mine. And you're going to preach the gospel to them, and they're going to form this church. And Corinth is going to be a church. It displays my grace and glory. And then thirdly, God reveals His sovereign control through the saving of the most unlikely people. Look at verse 8 of chapter 18. Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. I am thankful that, that this church at Western Lord is God's church. Secondly, I am thankful that through His sovereign plan, we are a church. Because if it had been left up to man, we would not even be a church, but we are a church. And God demonstrates that to me by putting people around me. God demonstrates that to me by encouraging me, not only through His Word, but through your life and your faithfulness. And then God reminds me that He's not done with His, His church. There are many people right here in Caldwell County who are yet to become a part of this church through God's grace and God's salvation. I want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the relationships that I have with other people because of you. I want to say thank you, Lord, for the strength you give me to keep preaching and ministering because of you and your church. And thank you, Lord, for reminding me that there are people yet to be saved. Crispus was the most unlikely person to be saved. Some of you were unlikely candidates at one time. And now God has saved you. Thank God. Thirdly, let me say this just before I close. Go back to verse 4, back in the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1, 4. Not only should we be thankful that the church is God's, and that because of God's sovereign control, we are still a church and will be a church in the future. And thirdly, we should be thankful because we are recipients of God's grace and everything we have is because of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to, you don't have to mark your Bibles with a pen, but mark them mentally with me. Look at verse 2, and look at the words in, or of, or through, or look, and Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. Look at this now. Verse 2, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. The latter part, who call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at the last words of verse 3, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4, the last words, which is given you by Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5, by Him. Look at verse 6, of Christ. Look at verse number 7, Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 8, our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 9, His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in verse 10 that I didn't even read, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is totally dominated by the person of the Lord Jesus 
Christ. And we should be thankful at our church this morning because the church belongs to God. The church would not be here if it were not for God's sovereign control. And thirdly, we should be thankful that we are a church because individually we are recipients of God's grace. And all of that has been given to us either by, in, through, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all because of Him. It's easy to thank God for the grace that we ourselves have received. But we have to be humble when we're thankful for the grace that others have received. And most of the time when we testify, we testify to our thankfulness for what we've received, and that's okay. But maybe somewhere... In the next few days, you should get alone and thank God for the grace that He has given to others who are now your brothers and sisters in Christ. So we should all be thankful this morning for God's saving grace, His securing grace, and His sanctifying grace. Let me close this morning by drawing your attention back to verse 4. Paul says, I thank my God always on your behalf. That's not a shallow or generic thankfulness. He was truly thankful for the church at Corinth because they were a church because of the grace of God given by Jesus Christ. Now Paul would spend the bulk of this letter, if you go home and read the rest of this letter, you're not going to find a lot of thankfulness mentioned because he's going to have to deal with all the unpleasantries and all the sins Everything that's warped and out of place, the divisions. Yet he's still thankful for God's work of grace in their lives. Let's be thankful for that this morning. That first of all, we're a church. Amen? We're a church. We're a called out assembly. Called out assembly. Now I want to go ahead and say I'm thankful to God for this church. I'm thankful to God for what He's doing in us. And how that is going to be for His glory and the spread of the gospel in the days ahead. And I also want to say that I'm thankful that someday another pastor will stand in this pulpit. And I believe he'll be able to say, Church, thank you for addressing the imperfections. Thank you for dealing with your sins, the blemishes, the problems. Thank you for repenting, for reaching out to those who for whatever reason no longer came to your church for reaching out to them and trying to help them establish their relationship with Christ. I want to go ahead and say thank you to God this morning because I believe that's going to happen. And we should be thankful for that. But whatever happens in the future, may each of us be able to always thank our God Wesley Lenore Baptist Church. I don't expect, and I know this church has heard this probably more than a lot of other churches. You've heard this because the ministries of this church in the past has, has touched so many churches. I mean, y'all are aware of that. You know that. You still do in, in a lot of ways, but in years gone by, you, you touched a lot of churches. And, and I know you've heard people come in here and stand in here and say, Thank the Lord for this church. You've helped here. You've done this. You helped my preacher. You taught my choir director to, to lead music. You know, just, you all have heard that, had not you, all, all of your life. And, and maybe somewhere in the midst of hearing all of that, we forgot 
to say thank you, Lord, for this church. Just for us who are recipients of God's grace. Father, I want to thank you this morning for Western Lord Baptist Church. Lord, we have our divisions. We have our doctrinal issues that need to be corrected and clarified. We need your help to return to the Lord's Supper biblically where it can be exactly what you'd have it to be. We need to appreciate baptism. Lord, we desperately need a revival and renewal of our church membership for many a regeneration. Lord, we need to love and care for each other in better ways. Lord, we're imperfect. We have failed. And I know you're not going to overlook that or give us a pass on that. We have to deal with that. But even as we sit here today, Lord, I want to thank you for the people that sit around me. The people that I have come to know and love, those who've come to know and love me, and people who've come to know and love each other, for families that have meals together and, and are strengthened in their Christian walk by each other, who several years ago didn't even know each other was on the planet. Others who have had lifelong relationships that have been a strength to them in good and bad days. Lord, we are thankful for all of that. And may we always be thankful for that. But I'm keenly aware, Lord, that this is all because we are recipients of your good grace. And because you suffered and bled, the church is yours. And so we humbly this morning thank you for allowing us to be a part of the body of Christ. Bind our hearts together in love. Strengthen our faith. Help us to repent of our wrongs. And Lord, as we see truth in Scripture, may we align with that truth the way you would have us to. So that in the future, when all of us who are sitting here are gone, and these young people who sang this morning will be teaching and leading, and their families will be here ministering, Lord, that they will also be thankful for the work that we did for Christ and the work they continue to do for Him. Grant it for Your glory, for Your honor, so Your Son's name can be exalted, that our names may be forgotten and Your name will be remembered. Do it for Your glory and praise. And we'll thank You and praise You for it all. In Your precious name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen.